Hello and welcome to the Indie Dev Life Podcast, a show about the ins and outs of independent software development. My name is Brian and I am an independent developer. If you are an independent developer and you are looking to host your web software somewhere and you need servers to do it, uh, I recommend uh, Linode, linode.com. You can use the link in the show notes to get a $100 60-day credit uh, to start up your own servers and launch your software. Linode is a great host. I recommend them. I've used them for many, many years. I recommend them in my book, Going Indie. If you use the link in the show notes, you can get uh, a $100 60-day credit and use the link to let them know that you came from here. So it's been a little bit of a break since our last episode. Uh, That was before the holidays and before things got a little crazy in the world. But we're back with, I guess you could call season two of Indie Dev Life. And during the time while the show has been on break, I have been working a lot on Pine.blog and getting the iOS app and website ready for the next launch. I've also been pushing out a lot of changes and fixes and improvements to the site, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. I think some of the stuff that's been going on under the hood is pretty interesting from a development perspective, and also from a, like, perspective of somebody starting out building software. I don't think you may necessarily think uh, to do a lot of these things. I certainly didn't. The first set of fixes I pushed out was, I think, two weeks ago, at time of recording, and it was some new uh, data retention policies. I know that sounds kind of boring or abstract, but... Basically, it's how much data I was collecting and then how much of that I was actually storing. So uh, obviously, since Pine.blog is a feed reader, or part of it is a feed reader, uh, it needs to go out and parse a bunch of feeds and store the data from those feeds somewhere. And for most of its history, Pine.blog has had a very long backlog that it has kept uh, from when it sees something in a public feed, how long it keeps it. Uh, Typically, I've been storing thousands of items per feed if that feed had that many items. And that's caused a lot of trouble. I've talked about that before, about how I was storing all of that stuff and it was uh, collecting in my database, eventually overcrowding my system. And I pushed out some new stuff, mostly because uh, I had decided that the reason I was keeping all of that data was no longer necessary. I had originally decided that even though you couldn't actually navigate to any of that data in the UI, whether on the website or on the app, I wanted to keep a history for each feed that went back that far Because eventually I had the plan to build features that would allow you to go and navigate back in time to see the history of a feed that far. But for a number of reasons, I decided that that feature, which has never launched, uh, now probably never will. And so there was obviously no need to keep a bunch of data that I was never going to use. The vast majority of that data is for the feed directory. Uh, User feeds are actually not really affected by this change at all. I wanted to be able to show in the feed directory the back history of a given feed. Uh, But I've basically decided that if you're just browsing the feed directory for a feed that no one on Pine.blog is actually subscribed to, that I'm only going to keep the first 25 posts, the first page of posts for you to browse. Uh, There's no need for me to store that back history anymore. That was the first thing, and that has drastically reduced the size of my database. The second change was that I converted the entirety of the feed directory to use the same kind of structure I had been using for timelines. So the way timelines work, I've mentioned this before, is that when a new item comes on or is discovered, it gets put on top of a list, which is then stored in Redis. So my database doesn't have to do any sort of complex queries to pull together what a given user's timeline is. It's the same thing that Twitter does. It's the same thing that a lot of companies do to essentially relieve their database from having to build these complex timelines in real time. So now the feed directory feeds. So when you look at the history of a given site, you're actually looking at the same thing. It's a uh, timeline in Redis that is served 
you know, in the order that it is in Redis. And that basically eliminates all of the computation that my database has to do. It eliminates all of the searching of the large tables that it was having to do previously, and it speeds up the application immensely. So now if you're simply browsing the feed directory, you'll have the same responsiveness that you would have of browsing a timeline. I also tweaked around some of the database stuff, which is uninteresting, but it also should result in a a drastic speedup. A lot of these fixes are those kind of like incremental under the hood things that you don't build when you first start out or you end up tweaking on as time goes on. I'm really happy to get these features out. Uh, Now it means that Pine.blog is not only a lot faster, uh, but it's a lot faster for almost all of its users. And importantly, uh, it can't really get slower over time. One of the things I didn't think about when I first built the site was I had built it in the kind of naive way of just, you know, searching the database for things uh, and building lists as they came in. But I never thought about, as the size of the database grew, how much those queries would slow down. And obviously, I was building Pine.blog originally many, many years ago, when I knew a lot less about uh, building web applications and web software. But now, uh, the queries effectively can't slow down, because I don't query the database anymore for, I don't search it in any sort of vague criteria kind of way, I say, go get these five things by primary key. So that's not going to get slower as the database gets larger, whereas searching the database does get slower as it gets larger. I posted something about this earlier in the week, or last week, but I immediately saw a change in my server's behavior after rolling out these fixes uh, because the amount of CPU power it takes to build and serve timelines went down drastically. The other thing that I did was a bunch of data transfer and uh, feed parsing improvements. So the feed parsing happens, like I've mentioned before, on a bunch of disparate workers. Um, and those workers need to go out and fetch the feed and, and check to see if a post in, an, in the feed already exists, if it doesn't create it, if it does update it, that kind of stuff. And that's a lot of database queries. And those queries were also taking an incredibly long amount of time to do sometimes, especially if there were lots of feeds being updated at the same time. Um, those would all, you know, they all require bandwidth and they all require uh, CPU power. So that many concurrent feeds would slow down my database, which would slow down the entire application and the feed parsing, which would make it take longer, which would back up the queues, etc. So I did a bunch of fine tuning on the feed parsing, which is honestly my least favorite part of working on Pine.blog because the feed parsing uh, pipeline that Pine.blog uses is fairly complex because parsing arbitrary content from the internet is really difficult, and there's a lot of weird edge cases involved. Uh, But I did end up improving it and cutting down the amount of database queries, the amount of back and forth between the database that needs to happen, and just the amount of data that I'm actually transferring between the nodes and the database. And I rolled out those changes and immediately saw the amount of traffic that was being exchanged between my servers go down by an enormous amount. So it actually not only lowered the amount of data that was being transferred, it sped it up because now it's no longer transferring all that that data and performing all these long-running queries. It sped up the feed parsing so much that I used to have four worker nodes and currently I only use three. One of them is still there. It's just not turned on. It's not doing anything. Um, But I effectively improved the performance of the feed parsing pipeline by and by 25% effectively enough to eliminate the need for an entire server. So that's one of those rare opportunities where you get to uh, write some more performant code that actually you know saves you time and money in the real world instead of just academically looking better or sounding better. It always feels good to roll out 
those kind of changes because they you you can observe in the graphs on uh, of your servers you can see the direct impacts of what you've done and it's always super cool to be able to to see the direct effects of your code like that other than that I've been working on like I've mentioned before the uh, new UI the new redesign for pine.blog uh, on both the website and on the iOS app uh, the redesign is the last feature of the iOS app before I relaunch or before I launch the next version. And uh, I'd been working on the redesign way all the way back since November for the app. But since I had gotten pretty far into that and I'd come up with a pretty decent design language for the new version, I decided to actually bring that design language to the website as well. So the new version of Pine.blog, when it launches on the web, will also have a light and dark mode. And it will look very similar to the way uh, the iOS version will look. And that should hopefully, you know, help users more easily switch between the platforms, but also give the platform and software, you know, a lot more consistency. It'll feel a lot more like a single product. Uh, And it'll be easier to maintain uh, on my end, because now when I add a new feature in one place, I don't have to re-implement or redesign how it's going to look and feel on the other side. Obviously, there are some differences between iOS and the web, uh, but it's really nice to have one kind of design pattern or design language for the user interface. I didn't ever have that, mostly because I've always tweaked on the website more than I tweaked on the UI for the iOS app, just because I'm more comfortable editing interfaces on the web. And I've never been happy with either, to be honest. But with this new redesign, I really like both the iOS app and the website and how they look. The Mac app will also be uh, this new design because it's the same app as the iOS app. And I have effectively moved the iPad version away from uh, how it looks now to be more like the Mac version that will eventually be coming out. So this release, which I'm hoping should be you know within the next month, no promises, but hoping, uh, this next release should be absolutely huge. It should be a bunch of performance enhancements, a bunch of under-the-hood tweaks, and then an entire redesign of the website, an effective rewrite of the iOS app, um, because so much has changed under the hood, as well as the entire user interface, plus a Mac app and a redesigned iPad app. Uh, That sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. Uh, I I definitely bit off a lot more than I should have in this, but I just got really excited with everything going how it was. I was feeling overwhelmed with all of this work uh, recently, but today... I have basically put the finishing touches on the web version. So now I will be going back to the iOS version to finish it up. And then after that, it should be just a bunch of testing and then launch. So things are starting to come together. When I decided to start doing the website redesign to kind of make it more like the iOS app I was working on, it became really obvious that I wanted it to have a dark mode just like the app did. So I started redesigning the website um, to kind of look like the light mode of the iOS app. But then I, I realized I wasn't going to be happy if I also didn't have a dark mode. I've been wanting a dark mode in the, in the uh, Pine.blog website for a long time. But uh, the frameworks I'm using, since they're kind of old, uh, don't support dark mode out of the box. And they don't you know, coalesce all of their um, pieces in a way that made that easy to do. So I'd always kind of put it off. And I really didn't want to switch frameworks or upgrade to the versions that do support them just because that's also an enormous amount of work and I didn't want to pile even more work onto the redesign I already was adding on to a release. So I ended up 
as I would say in a consulting context, taking out a loan or taking on some technical debt or uh, deciding to do something in kind of a hackish way uh, in order to make it work. And I decided to do that uh, because it would let me get a, get to a dark mode faster. It would basically, I would spend an afternoon or an evening hacking this solution together to give myself a dark mode. And the trade-off was going to be switching frameworks from where I'm now at or upgrading them to newer versions is going to be significantly more challenging now. And I effectively decided that I wasn't going to upgrade them anytime soon. Now, there's no need to upgrade them, so uh, it's not really a big deal. When I described what I was going to be doing to a friend of mine, uh, I, I love the way he described it. He said, you're not hacking it together. You've just decided that this is the last major refactor you're ever going to do on that code base, on that user interface framework, because you've effectively made it really difficult to maintain. And so if you don't have to change it, then it's no big deal. But the next time you have to change it, you basically have to go and do a major upgrade. Effectively kicking the can down the road, which is exactly what I did. I, I decided to hack something together to make this version easy to change and the next version harder to change. Uh, I did definitely did not do it the quote-unquote right way, but I did it the way that would ship. Uh, the new UI looks really good, in my opinion. I, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Uh, under the hood, the code is fine. The, the, the styling and everything is fine. But I've basically coupled myself to this kind of hacked-together version for the foreseeable future. As I said, I wasn't planning on changing it anyway, so it worked out. But that's just one example of the kind of decisions that you have to make and how you can justify those decisions, whether you're going to make something harder for yourself later or easier for yourself later. Uh, you know, neither of them are right or wrong decisions. Like, sometimes it is not possible to do it the quote-unquote right way. Sometimes it's not possible to do it the, the hacky way because you've done it, you've hacked it together too many times, and now it's not sustainable to keep doing that. The important thing that I think about when making these decisions is not which is the right way or the wrong way or the easy or the hard way. It's understanding what are the trade-offs of what I'm about to do. If I'm going to do it the quote-unquote right way, what are the trade-offs of doing that? One of the trade-offs is usually it takes a lot longer. If I'm going to do it the wrong way, what are the trade-offs, or the quote-unquote wrong way, what are the trade-offs of doing that? And one of the trade-offs might be, well, next time you have to touch this, it's going to be really complicated. And sometimes, you know, those decisions are perfectly viable and reasonable to make. It depends on, well, do I have the time right now? Or do I need to ship this right now? What's the effort involved? You know, if something's going to be made really complicated later, do I expect to have to change it again, re you know, in the, in the near future? If not, then it's not that big of a deal. If you're never planning to upgrade something, the fact that upgrading it is hard is not really a problem. That's a, a long way of saying that the dark mode for Pine.blog is, is coming. I managed to hack it together, and it looks really good, and I hope everybody will like it. And it's finally, finally consistent with the iOS app. Now that the website redesign is done, or effectively, you know, in the testing phase, I'm moving back to the iOS app to finish it up, and I should hopefully have that finished relatively soon. And that's the last major hurdle. I just fine-tuning the iOS app and fixing all the little bugs I found in my, like, couple weeks of testing, and then it's going to be any sort of final testing and then ship. So really excited to get it out into people's hands. It's a major refactor, and it should hopefully modernize the application quite a bit and set it on a good foundation for a long time to come.